And now it's uh, my pleasure to introduce Mr. Andres Martinez, today's moderator. Andres Martinez is the editorial director of Socalo Public Square and a vice president at the New America Foundation in Washington, D.C. Previously, he was the editorial page editor of the Los Angeles Times, a member of the editorial board for the New York Times, a staff reporter for the Wall Street Journal, and an editor and writer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Andres Martinez. Thank you, Gregory. And thank you to all of you for coming here today. It's, it's a great pleasure for me to be uh, in Miami. This is very exciting. I, I want to thank the Grupo Azteca and Azteca America for supporting this series of conversations that we're having in a number of cities around the country um, with Zocalo on the impact of immigration reform. I think this is a, an invaluable contribution to a debate that too often is exclusively focused on the national debate and impact of immigration. Um, most of what you hear when you go on cable TV or even in the kinds of think tank events that I'm sometimes part of in, in DC um, looks at the costs and benefits of immigration and immigration reform for the US in the aggregate. And too seldom do we drill down and look at the impact on individual communities uh, which is where these issues uh, get played out and where immigration becomes a, a real live daily reality. And you know, you don't need me coming down from DC to say that there's no better place in which to have this conversation than Miami. Uh, Miami now is the iconic immigration city in America, the city with the highest proportion of foreign-born workers, the highest proportion nationally of foreign-born, uh, foreign businesses that are owned by foreign-born entrepreneurs. Uh, so you don't need, need me to tell you that this is an incredibly dynamic global crossroads now. So it's, it's a thrill to be here. And I have to say, you know, thanks to the staff of Socolo and their thoroughness. Um, Dulce Vasquez, the managing director, did a lot of work putting this together. And she even, she even painted a mural this morning back there on immigration. If you turn around, you'll see this wonderful mural that uh, conveys some of the, the historic backdrop of immigration. She does this for all event, all Zocalo events, no matter what the subject matter. She, she does a mural. She still has some paint on her, on her suit. So, so thank you for that. Uh, what a great setting for this. So now I want to quickly turn and just uh, get us started. Uh, the, we're aiming to have a pretty casual conversation. And we have a great panel uh, to do that with. And in the interest of being informal and casual, I'm just going to introduce folks uh, by, t by their current title. Uh, and uh, so apologies for not reviewing their uh, impressive uh, biographies. But time is, is, is of the essence. Um, so to my immediate left, we have Robert Cruz, who is the chief economist of Miami-Dade County and has been since 2008. And then we have Marlene Bastien, who is the executive director of Femme Haitienne Nam Miami, which I'm probably mispronouncing, but the Haitian Women of Miami, where she, has, where she champions a lot of causes that are important to the immigrant community. And then we have Michael Grunwald, who is a senior national correspondent for Time Magazine based here in Miami. And to his left, uh, 
probably needing no introduction to you all, is Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart, who represents the 25th District and has done so since 2002 and is uh, very involved in the immigration debate in Washington. So I want to I start with, with Robert. If you could just sort of set the context and the scene, I asserted that you know, this is the iconic immigrant city in, in the United States now. Uh, and you know, flesh that out a little bit. Talk, talk a little bit about the economic significance uh, of immigration uh, in, this, uh, in South Florida, in this region. And, and, and potentially also reform. Clearly, immigration and this need for reform is one of the paramount civil rights issues of our time. At the, at the same time, it's a hugely important economic matter. And so wearing your chief economist hat, uh, put some numbers to that and, and paint us a, a mural like that on, in terms of the current reality. Thank you very much. Um, I think, you know, all of you that are here, I, I see a lot of faces that I, I know that you're very familiar with the area, but it's a good, it's a good thing to look sort of at the history. Um, and, you know, we're no stranger to immigration. This has been, especially after World War II, we have been an area that has a growing, a very fast-growing population of, of, uh, of immigrants. In 1940, there were about maybe less than 30,000 uh, foreign-born residents in Miami-Dade County. By 1960, that number had increased by, a num by about five times. So that um, we had, by 1960, we had about uh, a 16% of the, of the uh, population was a foreign-born population. In that short period of time, that rate of growth was about 9% per year. That's, you know, uh, cr uh, pretty phenomenal. Uh, during that time, there was also, of course, a period of economic prosperity. There was a lot of, uh, there was other uh, migration coming in, so uh, from domestic sources, and the economy grew rapidly in terms of population. We had a lot of uh, housing and a lot of real estate development going on at that time, and foreign workers were very important in, in providing um, the workforce for a lot of those economic opportunities that were de uh, de uh, occurring at that time. Now, if we move from 1960 to 1980, you see, an, again, a very large increase in, uh, in foreign-born population and immigrants. And, and we know what triggered that, a lot of uh, political problems and political issues in uh, the Caribbean and in Central America, all of those things uh, helped to fuel a, uh, another wave or several, a couple of waves of immigration. A different type of immigration than the, that occurred in the 1940s and 1950s. This was an immigration that, that brought in a number of entrepreneurs, a number of uh, well-educated uh, individuals that were fleeing countries that, uh, that were becoming difficult for them to, to live in them. We're of course talking about the Castro Revolution and all of that. And of course the, the, the conflicts in Central America. But during that time period, once again, this was an, an economy that was booming in, in, in part due to that immigration that was coming in and the human capital that was coming in and the actual uh, um, monetary financial capital that was flowing into the areas. Now if we go fast uh, forward, um, to the year 2000. We went from 36% foreign-born to about 50%. Half of the population was foreign-born just in that time period, in a short amount of time, where that number has basically stayed flat since 2000. Today, we're still about half of the population is foreign-born. 
Now, during that time period, our economy, always there's you know, cycles. There are periods of times when there's recession and, and those kinds of things. But if you look at the overall picture, this was a picture of a very fast growing economy maturing in a lot of different ways. So for example, we know that uh, tourism, of course, was important uh, even early on, but most of our tourists today, or about half of our tourists, I should say, are coming uh, from um, foreign countries. For, it's international tourism. Now, they make up half, of, half the number, but those tourists make up more than half of the tourism dollars that are spent in this economy. And of course, the tourism industry uh, and the leisure industry employs a lot of individuals in our economy. But the other thing, of course, that has happened is a very uh, significant increase in international trade. About in 2012, we about had about $100 billion of trade flowing through our airport and our seaport. Most of that trade, about two-thirds of that trade, is from Latin America and the Caribbean. But there are a lot of companies that are uh, 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 international companies that, of course, want to locate here because this is a, a very uh, Im uh, important gateway to those markets in Latin America, which are, of course, growing and, um, and of course, are, are potential opportunities for foreign investment to come in here so that they can uh, um, reach the, uh, the uh, uh, economies of Latin America, primarily Brazil for us, but all of the economies in Latin America. Today we have an economy that in Dade County alone is about 216, maybe 215, 216 billion dollars a year. Uh, that makes about 45% uh, of the entire Tri-County area's GDP. Uh, the, the GDP for the entire Tri-County area, Dade, Brom, uh, Palm Beach, and Broward, uh, is about $5.2 billion. And if you look at what are our primary export industries, those, of course, as I mentioned before, is international tourism and, of course, international trade. Both of those are important engines of, of economic activity okay. in, in Dade County. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and let's, we're going to come back to some of that macro. Um, but given that context, Marlene, I, I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about uh, assuming that Congress uh, follows through and passes something that you, you and I would recognize as, as desirable, comprehensive immigration reform, and that this doesn't end up being a, another kind of head fake like we saw in, in 2006 and 2007, um, what will the impact of such a reform be on this community, both immigrants, uh, but also the rest of the community? Um, you know, because as Robert said, uh, you know, a contrarian view might say, well, Miami is flourishing economically, you know, in the long term, thanks in large measure to immigration, and we have a blend of legal migration and, you know, also undocumented workers coming who are benefiting the economy, even though that's, that's often not recognized. And so you could, you know, some people might say, well, I'm going to shrug my shoulders and let's just keep muddling through because the region is benefiting from immigration, you know, with this blend of legal and undocumented. But talk a little bit about why it's so important um, to have immigration reform and what the impact would be. Thank you for this uh, opportunity. Who are the immigrants? Immigrants are men, women from all around the world. 
who contribute to the social, economic, and political fabric of our nation. Everywhere we look in our nations, in every industry, you find immigrants working hard, sacrificing themselves, keeping their ends of the bargain days in and days out. While they are contributing to our economy, they are forced to live in fear every day. If comprehensive immigration reform is passed, and we certainly hope that it will, families will be able to stay together. Just imagine the pain that these families have to go through, the agony of going to bed every night, and then wondering whether that night will be the night that ICE will bang at their doors, hold their mothers, their mummies and daddies in handcuffs to detention centers to be deported. Our system is not equipped to take care of children of immigrants because their parents, their mummies and daddies have been deported to Mexico, to Honduras, to Guatemala, to Haiti, to countries around this nation. If comprehensive immigration reform passes, and then we certainly hope that it passes, we will be able to keep families together. Families who have been living here for 30 years, some of them 30 years, will be able to come out from the shadow of fear to the light of freedom and respect and dignity. And as a nation of immigrants, as a nation which is the most powerful in the world because of contributions of immigrants from all around the world, we owe them that much because they keep their ends of the bargain. They sacrifice themselves. They'll work two, three jobs. They work in our schools, in our hospitals, in our restaurants, everywhere you turn. Here are the immigrants contributing. Families will benefit. The families will benefit. We will keep them together. We will maintain the family sanctity. We value families. We are a nation's a nation that values the sanctity of families. Immigrants are human beings too. We will keep these families together. When we invest in immigrants, when they have their green cards, we know where, who they are, we know where they are. They'll contribute, they'll contribute more. They'll start businesses. They are entrepreneurs. And then they are hard workers. Our nation has everything to gain from passing comprehensive immigration reform. Everything to gain. Thank you. Congressman, so now we've put you on the spot. You have to pass this. No, uh, we were talking earlier about how there, there do remain significant hurdles to getting from where we are today to, and, you know, president signing immigration reform. And that, those, what, the, the nuts and bolts of what those hurdles entail could be the subject of an, an entire different session. So let's, you know, stipulate that we're not quite there. Uh, a lot of work remains to be done, and we appreciate your collective efforts in trying to do that. Uh, but there's a reason, presumably, why you're in, under, you know, involved in this effort and, and pushing hard to, to try to make this happen. And I imagine that a lot of those reasons have to do with the benefits that you see for your district. Uh, so talk a little bit about that. Thanks. If I may, just very briefly, I saw uh, one person walk in who I think deserves, there's so many people that I would recognize, but 
but one person who deserves, I think, a little special recognition. Um, um, she works for a person who has, I think, shown great leadership uh, in getting this issue forward. And, and you know, I think we all have to be very grateful for the leadership that Senator Marco Rubio has shown. Uh, and uh, so we have, I, I think, probably the, one of the best staffers after my, my staff uh, uh, that works, uh, again, uh, uh, Ms. Bovo works for Marco Rubio. She is the person that we go to all the time. So let me just recognize you for, uh, for, for you and your boss, both. You know, a couple things. I, I, on the economic front, on the economic, there are very few things that we could do in Congress right now. There are a few. There's a couple of two or three things that we could do right now that could immediately help the economy. Among those top issues would be immigration reform. Why do I say that? The professor just mentioned um, some of the specific issues of, of our community here. International trade, and by the way, professor, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the jobs dealing with international trade tend to be higher paying than most other jobs. So, so that's a given. But here's another issue. The, the negative, or the perceived negative of the fact that we have millions of people in this country that are here unlawfully. Whatever the negatives may be, they're here. We already have that. So, in other words, whether people like it or not, there's folks who are here who are undocumented. So, we can talk about the positives and the negatives, but let's just focus on the negatives. Whatever they may be, we already have those. We're not talking about bringing in more folks who are undocumented. We're talking about dealing with the folks who are already here. The positives of those folks could be increased dramatically because of what you just talked about. These are folks who are, you know, who are they? They're the most, they tend to be the most aggressive, the most hardworking. You know, you don't risk everything. Leave everything you know and you feel comfortable with to go to a foreign country if you're kind of like sedate and mellow. I mean, that one of the reasons the United States has done so well is precisely because we've always attracted the best from around the planet, immigrants from around the planet. That still remains the same. Those are the most aggressive, the most uh, hardworking people from different countries. And imagine those folks all of a sudden coming out of the shadows. Many already pay taxes. Some may not. Well, all will have to pay taxes. Being able to then lawfully, openly, create businesses, work hard. The, the direct, immediate impact on the economy. Again, I will tell you, there are very few things that Congress can do immediately that would be as positive for dramatic, a, a dramatic infusion to the U.S. economy as immigration reform, number one. Number two, part of immigration reform has to be having a, fixing a visa system that doesn't work. I don't have to tell anybody that we have a system that doesn't work. Well, we have millions of people here who are undocumented, right? That's all the proof anybody needs. It's not working. It's almost impossible to come to the work and live in the United States legally. So fixing that would be a huge boon for our economy, for international trade, for everything you can think of. But I, so that's also key. Another issue is the United States has, I think, the same right, well, no, the same responsibility that every other country does to determine who comes in and leaves to protect its borders. We have, to do that, we have to pass immigration reform. And lastly, and this is something that, that drives me every single day. Back here, I mentioned that a little while ago when we were just talking before the forum. 
Look, um, my brother Lincoln, by the way, who I have to give credit not only for being one of those who created this House group a few years ago, but also the last time there was a legalization in this country was Lincoln Diaz-Balart. And as he said, he runs into folks all the time, and I run into folks all the time who are here legally, who have businesses, who have families, because of what my brother Lincoln was able to do in Congress. Uh, another one of our colleagues, every time we have a meeting, he starts that meeting saying, yesterday, 1,400 people were deported. Today, we're here in this beautiful building. Today, this administration will deport 1,400 people. Tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 1,400 people. These are not, it's not 1,400 widgets. It's 1,400 in individuals, many of them with American family members who are here in the shadows. So for our economy, for our national security, and for the fact that we have people who have been here for years, who are working, many of whom have relatives who were born here, many of them who, who, who have established entire lives here. We have to treat, with, treat them as they deserve. Um, what defines the United States of America? We are a country of immigrants, we are a country of laws, and we're a meritocracy. So I think we have to have legislation that conforms to some very basic principles. Rule of law, treating people based on their merit, and making sure um, um, that we do so humanely. And obviously, all of it has to be, all of it has to be with a focus on, does it help our economy? If it doesn't help our economy, the American people could not, frankly should not, want to have immigration reform. But I think it's pretty clear that we can, we can have a huge, uh, shot in the arm to the U.S. economy if we're able to pass comprehensive immigration reform. Thank you, Congressman. Michael, you have an interesting perspective on, on this debate. Uh, both, on the one hand, you are a, a national correspondent for time. You cover national stories. Uh, uh, Michael wrote a very good book on uh, the stimulus package that Congress and, and President Obama put together at the outset of the financial crisis. He's a very accomplished uh, environmental reporter. Um, he's one of the top, most respected uh, journalists at, at a national level. But you also live in Miami, so you, you experience immigration and this debate in this community. And as I said at the outset, too often we talk uh, in, this, in a sense that as if immigration, the story of immigration and the debates around uh, reform it's just one national debate. Can you, do you have a sense of how this issue is, is distinctive in this community as opposed to if we were having this conversation in, in Texas or California, or what's, what's the sort of the Florida take on this? Sure, um, right, well, right, 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 we moved to Miami because the weather's nice and it's so close to the United States, right? Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a different place um, and that's, part of what makes it fun. Um, and, uh, you know, so a couple of maybe obscure points. When, when I first moved down from Washington, um, I found it really refreshing. It was, what, it was 2003. It was, it was great that people weren't talking about Abu Ghraib all the time. Um, after a while, 
I started to think that it would be maybe kind of cool if some people here knew that Abu Ghraib wasn't like a fashion designer or like a you know plastic surgeon or something. Um, there is a, a real detachment from the day-to-day -day politics of what happens in Washington, which you know may be true in Dubuque as well. I'm not sure. Um, I had always lived in the Delta shuttle access, right? You know, or the you know the Acela corridor in New York and Washington and. Uh, and, and Boston, where there's much more focus on which bill just got out of committee. Um, where here there's... Which isn't uh, necessarily a healthy obsession. Right, right, right exactly. But here it's definitely on the, yeah. uh, on the, opposite, on the opposite scale. Um, then to drill down into the specifics of immigration reform, um, this is, again, I hate to be Captain Obvious, um, but uh, a lot of immigrants in, in the Miami area are Cubans who, in some sense, don't have a dog in the hunt, right? Um, at least a legal dog in the hunt because of the, the national rules that, uh, you know, wet, wet foot, dry foot. Um, uh, immigrants down here also tend to be more Republican than, uh, than immigrants in, in the rest of the country. Um, those are just specific differences. But the, the main way it's experienced here, and this is why I think it's not a coincidence that even our, our Cuban leaders like, like Mario and Senator Rubio, who I, you know, I profiled on the cover of Time, um, have become such, such leaders in this, is that uh, it is, immigration is so, it's such a part of the fabric of life here um, in a way that it, that it uh, you know, regardless of party, um, or which part of the world you came from, the, you know, the lead of my article about Senator Rubio, um, who's had this very interesting political journey on immigration, but the lead was his, his mom leaving him a voicemail saying, uh, you know, Tony, she, she calls him Tony, um, you know, just uh, don't, don't, don't forget about the immigrants. Um, they're people just like us. Um, and so there really is this and, and he lives in West Miami, so when he goes to get his cafecito or, uh, you know, he's, uh, this, is, this is a part of his life. Um, while in Washington, immigration is very much an abstract issue, um, and particularly I think it's, it's seen as sort of a negative issue. How do we solve this immigration problem? Um, here, again, it's, I'm, I'm being the explicitron, but... Uh, but we know that, immigra you know, that immigration is, is a strength. Um, you can't, you can't, we don't see immigrants as people who you know, are in some sort of desperate straits who need help. We see them as the people who run businesses. And here, it's the people who run our community. I mean, we're at MDC, which has you know, 175,000 students. Um, and I wonder, three quarters of them, three quarters of them are immigrants. Um, my, my wife is on, on the board of Americans for Immigrant Justice. Um, so uh, so she's, she's living these issues every day. And we, so we've gotten to know these dreamers um, who have really led the national debate. And they would, you know, Gabby was going to school in, uh, you know, in Miami Beach. Um, these are, uh, and uh, the, those two Colombian kids whose, whose names I've forgotten, who really got that, the dream issue started, um, they were valedictorians of their, their school down here. And it's not a coincidence. So it's a sort of long-winded way of saying that, you know, because we can't avoid the issue, it's, it's really, um, it's become just sort of a, an issue to deal with rather than this kind of abstract policy um, that, that, you know, has to be tabled or, you know, motion, you know, cloture motion or, a, right. you know, a you motion know, it, to it, proceed. It is striking, uh, 
and you remind us of the fact that in, in this community and in this state, um, the push for immigration reform is, is more, feels more like a bipartisan uh, priority, uh, and, and there's a sort of constructive approach to it uh, for some of the reasons that, that you alluded to, which, and I think that's something that I wish were less than the rest of the country would, would also embrace. Um, it does feel less polarizing here, and um, is, that, is that a fair assessment, Congressman? Look, it's a polarizing issue everywhere. It's a yeah. polarizing issue in parts of the state. It's a polarizing issue even in parts of our community here. Um, I, I, rarely do you see an issue that is more emotional than immigration reform on all sides yeah. of the issue. I, I think one of the things that has changed recently, though, is the fact that, that we're, you know, if we're able to bring down the decibels and talk about the issue, uh, and then I think we have a shot at doing that. You know, um, I don't know if it's... I don't, no, I don't sense, I, I sense the desire to fix this issue yeah. everywhere I go. See, when, so in this community, and I think it's what you're saying, it's more of our daily life. Uh, but I think this issue, when it's brought up, I think the Amer American people want solutions to the issue. So, and, and I think the American people demand certain things for those solutions. And, and, and those demands, by the way, transcend Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, or frankly, even parts of the country, which is interesting. So uh, it, it's more on the, I think, again, we have to, if we focus on the merits of the issue, I think you'll find the American people have some agreement. Um, and that's everywhere. And I think it's, emo it's as emotional here. Obviously, the demographics are different here. Right. But if you look at different demographics and talk to individuals, it's still a very emotional issue here. Robert, I wanted to uh, come back to the, the question of, that the congressman mentioned that this only makes sense, immigration reform, you know, as a broad sell to the American public if you can make an economic case. And are there, is there data that shows the cost to the county of continuing to, uh, uh, support, you know, to, to continue to tolerate a situation where you have hundreds of thousands of people, uh, millions of people in the region um, who don't have, um, you know, stat, legal status. And that is a burden on many communities, uh, emergency rooms in the hospitals and the education system. And have you done, is there data with, that the county has looked at what the, the economic impact would be for the county of, of legalizing this, this community in a way that might bring down some of these burdens and costs. I mean, the conventional wisdom a few years back was always to think of uh, even the undocumented flow of immigrants as a net gain benefit to the nation and to the nation's economy, setting aside a few wacky studies from certain think tanks uh, recently on the right. Um, but that it was a net gain, but it did create burdens on communities. And in some ways, the analogy was made this is sort of like an unfunded mandate on some communities because the nation benefits from not legalizing this flow, uh, but then communities have to pick up some of the, some of the cost. Um, but is there data that would, that would flesh that out? Well, I think that the, the county has never sort of looked at this as a, as a problem. And so there, there hasn't been a... a um, a formal analysis of the economic impact, either negative or positive, on the area. Um, I think, for example, in the case of when we've seen some studies that talk about the impact, the negative impact on 
uh, school systems because uh, children, of course, have to be uh, admitted into school. I think that one forgets in those studies that a lot of the, most of those individuals are paying, of course, rent, and in their rent, uh, if they're not homeowners, and in their rent, there is a, uh, a part of that rent that is, it, it pays for those property taxes. And so there, it's not completely, you know, those issues of, well, it's a burden. Um, I think you can always look at other factors that, that basically counteract that, um, that uh, potential negative. So, so the county, I don't think, uh, uh, you know, certainly it hasn't since I've been with the county uh, since 2008, really approached that, uh, that question in that quantitative way. I think what happens when you legalize um, uh, uh, workers that are here already, I think that that's going to have a, a, a positive impact on the labor market because I think you're going to see people who, uh, there are people that are being exploited in terms of lower wages or, not, or wage theft. Um, one of the things that Miami has done, Miami-Dade County has done in a very progressive way is to uh, try to address this issue of wage, wage theft. Um, and, and has actually recuperated wages from, uh, from individuals that have not been paid. And many of those individuals are undocumented workers. I think that uh, you know, brings additional, resolving those kinds of issues with legalization, I think that brings in more buying power into the economy. It probably will increase wages, not lower wages, um, because these workers are now going to be able to uh, achieve you know, uh, more market rate type of, uh, uh, of wages. Right. So I think it's a positive benefit, but they, those positive benefits and the potential negatives haven't sort of been tried to be calculated. Yeah, I know it's hard to put numbers on, on some of these issues, but, you know, for instance, it, barring populations from having access to, you know, uh, car insurance, people who probably would, would want to get it, um, if they could, I mean, there's, there's, there is a cost that, you know, and a lot of that is, is hard to flesh out, you know, as you're in this legislative debate, but, so it's, it's interesting to think about, about in those terms. But Marlene, um, what do you hear from uh, people in the community in terms of the things that they would want to make sure are addressed by Congress as part of a reform? Because obviously we can talk about comprehensive immigration reform, and that can mean a number of different things and different elements. And uh, I, I, I promised the panel, or I, I urged the panel at the outset, not to make this a conversation about what should or shouldn't be in the legislation. Uh, but in terms of uh, what you're hearing from people in the community about things that they feel should not or should be a non-negotiable part of this, um, what would you tell the congressman he should really try to keep his eyes on? Thank you. Um, I'm the chair of the Florida Immigrant Coalition and, um, and also the vice chair of the Haitian American Grassroots Coalition. So we are in touch with families. Plus, I manage uh, a nonprofit center that provides services to immigrants. So we, in the immigrant community, we would like, we want comprehensive immigration reform that is, of course, inclusive, that keeps families together. And when we talk about families, we talk about all families, traditional families and non-traditional families. We would like to see comprehensive immigration reform that trailblazes a path to citizenship. We cannot discriminate 
These immigrant families, when they have to do all kind of work, they do not discriminate. They go wherever. They give their blood for our nation. They deserve comprehensive immigration reform that, that, that trailblazes a path to citizenship. We also need comprehensive immigration reform that is timely. They cannot wait any longer. Some of them have been waiting for 30 years. They cannot wait for 15, 20 more years. So comprehensive immigration reform that is in, uh, inclusive, timely, that trailblazes a path to citizenship, that keeps families together, and then that does not discriminate, that does not tax immigrants to, 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 to the point where even if the, the law passes, because of the steep fines, right, it will prevent most of them, just like Haitian family, uh, immigration family uh, uh, act of 1998, which Congressman Jasper Lord and both brothers helped us uh, to pass, right, in the implementation, because of so many uh, uh, measures, right, many immigrants, many Haitian immigrants were prevented from adjusting their status, and we still have 20,000 who still need reform. So we need to create comprehensive reform that really facilitate these immigrants who have been waiting for the pipeline for so long to come out and, uh, and apply and enjoy the freedom that this great country has to offer. I believe that they deserve it, and then we are happy to be working with uh, Senator Marco Rubio. We really uh, 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 congratulate him for his leadership on this. We congratulate Congressman Mario Desperlard. We congratulate uh, uh, Congressman Lincoln, who helped us in the past. We congratulate uh, uh, Congresswoman uh, Wilson. We hope that we, the delegation, okay. I'm gonna end. The delegation will work together, will work with us, and then you in the public, you need to, to support them. You need to call let to me, support uh, uh, Senator Wong. You need to support them to yeah, make sure that they understand the importance of this for our community. Let, let me ask the congressman very quickly, because I want to turn to the audience, but very quickly, because I think this is an important matter. Uh, a few months ago, it seemed that the big divisive issue, even when there was some consensus about doing immigration reform, was this question of citizenship. It seemed that there was some reluctance on the part of some members of Congress to give a full pathway to citizenship for the 11 million uh, legalized uh, folks that, are, that have been here without proper documentation. And then there was a, a, also a debate about, well, sh should we provide a pathway to citizenship for anybody who would come into the country as part of a new temporary worker program? I've been amazed at how rapidly we've, we've moved beyond that, and now there seems to be broad consensus that uh, for everybody, there will be a pathway to citizenship, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's sort of my understanding. I mean, there's a lot of debate still about what that pathway is and how many years and how many, uh, but the sort of legal status versus citizenship thing, which seemed to be the big divide a few months ago, we seem to have moved on. So is it, is it fair to, uh, would you forecast that whatever the immigration reform that comes out will include this pathway to citizenship that, that Marlene mentioned? You no, know, obviously, I, and I, I can't get into details of what the negotiations taking place in the House are hopefully there'll be an opportunity to to have a very public uh, public input. Um, I will tell you this: you know, when you think about pathway to citizenship, that means different things to different people. So I don't talk about those issues. I don't talk about. I don't tend to talk about comprehensive immigration reform. I talk about when I talk to my colleagues. I say, uh, I got elected to fix what's broken. This is what I believe is broken. Let's let's work on that. Now, when you do that. 
there's a lot of issues that are broken. Um, this is where I think there's a consensus by the American people. I think there's a consensus by the American people. Remember, I mentioned some of the things that defines us. We're a nation of immigrants and we're a nation of laws. I think the American people want to make sure that we follow the rule of law, that we do not violate the rights of those who have done things legally. So can you, uh, and I think the American people also don't think that it's a good uh, idea to have a number, millions of people in the United States who are here permanently who can never aspire, those who may want to, who really believe it and feel it, who can never aspire to put their hands on their heart and pledge allegiance to that flag. And we've seen examples of marginalized societies. Look at Europe, right? right? So, so I think the American people understand we don't want a group of people here who are permanently here who can never aspire to become a U.S. citizen. On the same time, the American people, I think, believe that they should not be giving a special pathway that folks who have done everything legally wouldn't have. Are those two issues bridgeable? Yes, they are. Uh, and so, so I, you know, that's why, again, on the, on the issues of, you know, comprehensive of path to citizenship, I think you got to focus on the issue. Can we provide a way where those folks who earned their, their, their you know, who earned their status, um, those who really want to pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America right. would have an opportunity to do so without violating the rule of law and the rights of those yeah. who've been I think that's, then legally. Uh, I that's, think that's what the clear. American people demand, and I think yeah. we can get there. That's, that's a good answer. That's clear. And sorry to cut you off, but I do want to give the opportunity to members of the audience to, to ask questions. Uh, I think one question that we should all reflect upon as we leave here later on is, you know, where, where would we be 10 years from now if we come back together and Congress had not taken advantage of this moment and passed meaningful reform in the next few months? Uh, we've seen that before, and I think that's something I, I wanted to ask all of you, but I think we should all take that with us and think about it. And now let me uh, turn this to you to ask questions. I'm Shana Avila from American Families United. Um, and I've had the privilege of speaking with your chief of staff several times. Um, and uh, we want to make sure, of course, as you've heard before, I'm sure from him, that um, U.S. citizens and permanent residents who are spouses and family members of people who are unauthorized are remembered too. Uh, you spoke about the uh, people who did things legally, and we've tried. But of course, as you know about the bars of admissibility, a lot of our spouses have a visa number already waiting for, and we're blocked from reaching it. So I guess my question is, um, how do you see the future, whether in this bill or, or another, um, for families like ours who have tried to do things legally but are stopped in that process by some laws that were passed a decade ago? And, and without getting too much into detail, which, again, as you know, I can't, however, that's why I mentioned that we have a system that's not working. You have to modernize the entire system. If, if we had, look, if we had, if the immigration system was working, we wouldn't be talking about this today. We wouldn't have 10 or 11 million undocumented. We wouldn't have all these issues. So it's not working. The legal system isn't working, and it has to be modernized, uh, which is why one of the things that, that when we talk about uh, immigration reform, it doesn't get a lot of attention, but it's huge, and it's te technically very difficult, is we have to fix, again, I don't use the word comprehensive, 
but we have to fix a system that is broken from A to Z. We have to fix it from soup to nuts. We have to fix it in a way that, again, I said the principles that I think the American people demand, uh, and I think it's doable. Good morning, my name is Jean-Robert Lafortune. I, am a, I work for, the, for my immediate country and also I am an immigrant advocate for the Haitian American Gastric Coalition. I agree with the statement made by the professor in terms of uh, things that happened in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s with America in terms of uh, the collapse of its foreign policies, which basically opened the gate for many people from Central America, the Caribbean, to come here. I believe that America must be responsible for its actions in the past in terms of foreign policies, missteps or mistakes. Uh, Congressman Ebalant, we basically admire your intensity on that, on that debate. And also we appreciate the Lincoln Ballard efforts in 1998 to get Haitians, nationals on a path to residency. And also what I would like to lie, what I would like to put on the table. There are things that the administration can do right now in order to give a down permit to undocumented immigrants. The same way that President Clinton provided DED, D, a, a DED Deferred, enforced departure. Deferred Enforcement Departure, we believe that President Obama, with the support of the Republicans and the Democrats, he could provide that DED, which comes basically with work permits, in order to show to the nations that he is serious, the administration is serious in terms of providing a relief to undocumented immigrants right now. I believe that if a Speaker Bonner called the White House for something like that, I think this is something that the President should do and he can deliver right now. And are you, are you in support to provide DED to undocumented immigrants pending that there is a permanent relief in the U.S. Congress? I've written letters uh, on that issue. I've written multiple letters and signed multiple letters. I will tell you, however, that right now, uh, so, so I've written letters. Now, I've been very careful since I'm in the midst of very de delicate conversations to not get too involved in, in details and so not to answer questions in very detailed about what should be in the bill, what should not be in the bill. But, but just so you know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fact that I've written letters on that issue. Um, my name is Kathy Bird. And um, I would like to ask a question to Congressman uh, Diaz-Balart. Congressman, thank you so much for your leadership on this issue um, during all these years. Um, yesterday, uh, the Florida New Majority released a poll uh, that stated, um, that found that a vast majority of Florida voters support comprehensive immigration reform that includes a pathway to citizenship because they believe that it will keep our communities safer It'll keep families together, and they think that that should happen regardless of the sexual orientation of those families. Um, we're hearing a lot of concerns that there's going to be a piecemeal approach to comprehensive immigration reform in the House of Representatives. Can you tell us uh, if we can anticipate seeing a comprehensive <coughs> bill in addition to the piecemeal approach that some of the members are going to be introducing? There's a few of us that are working on a bill to deal with the issues that are broken in immigration reform, I mean, with an immigration system, and that's a lot of issues that are broken. Uh, and there are going to be others that have 
bills that deal with individual parts of that. And I think that's all good. That's all positive. That's all helpful. Um, is it easier to pass these issues separately? I don't know. Uh, I frankly, I don't personally think so. I will tell you, if I thought it was easier to pass them individually, more power to that. Uh, the key here is not whether it's one bill, three bills, ten bills. The key here is, are we going to be able to address the, the very diverse, uh, you know, the, the, this huge number of different issues, whether it's, you know, the, the legal visa system, whether it's the agriculture program, whether it's the STEM issue, whether it's, I mean, you name it, you know, the Dreamer kids. You know, if it's done in one bill and five bills, that's to me is a tactical decision. The question is, there, is, is there the ability to get it done? And I will tell you that uh, it is technically very difficult because we hear a lot about some of the big issues and they're important. I will tell you that I am more concerned about the technical smaller technical issues which could derail one or any part of, of, of legislation uh, which are very, very difficult. So again, to me that's a tactical issue. Um, I think that it's probably easier to do so in a way that the parts that have to be together are together. Uh, if somebody can show me that it makes more sense to separate them and that, that, and that folks in Congress would have an easier time doing that, I'll be the first to split it up. That's a tactical decision, in my view. Morning, my name is Stefania Sterling. Um, I'm a, I've been here for 10 years, thanks to TPS. Now I can drive, I can do a lot of things. But my mom is now a resident. She could file for me. But I would like to know why we have to wait five years and then I have to go back to my country because I'm over 26 now to go back to my country to get my residency to come back here. And I think it's not fair because I'm here 15, like 15 years and then waiting and then now I have to go back again to my country to get my residency. And then I don't know if they're going to do something to change that because waiting five years to get my, my visa and then go back to my country, even though I want to do it, his stuff because I have my kids here. I'm going to school here. I'm doing so much things here. I have a house here. I'm contributing in the economy. And then I'm here since I was 15 and then go back to my country that I didn't see for 10 years, you know? I think it's tough for all us, even though we want to do it legally, waiting the wait to get the papers is tough. And then I, I don't know if this will be one part of the thing that we're going to work on, because it's tough waiting five years for a residency. I don't think it will take, you should take that much to get a visa. Your story, her story, is the story of thousands and thousands of people, and frankly, her or worse, even right. I mean, we you deal with it every single day, and and um, again, I can't comment on what might or might not be in a in a specific proposal in the House uh, because we are in negotiations. I will tell you that um, there are stories after stories, and the, and these are not 
you know, these are not theories, these are human beings. As this young lady was talking about, she's got a family here. Um, that's one of the reasons that I, that I mentioned, and, I, and that's why I'm very grateful for my colleague from the other party, uh, Luis Gutierrez, who starts every meeting saying, today, you know, yesterday 1,400 people were deported, today 1,400 people will be deported, tomorrow 1,400 people will be deported. We need to always remember that these are not statistics, these are human beings. Um, like that, there are hundreds of thousands of people in this community, millions across the country, uh, and they deserve, I think, a, their status to finally be taken care of. Again, I can't get into details as to what might be in a bill, what may not be in a bill, but I think those of us who are negotiating, who are working on this, understand the reality that, is, that the folks who are here and around the country are facing on a da daily basis. Hi, I'm Nancy Trevino with Power Youth Center for Social Change. I um, wanted to ask a question regarding um, kind of the Haitian immigrants here in Miami um, and those waiting in Haiti who um, have been approved by the government um, to come here. Um, so there's 106,000 people in Haiti, including 11,000 children, who our government has already approved to join our families in the U.S., but who are on two and a half to 12-year waiting lists in Haiti where many may not survive given the conditions of devastation there. Um, there has been bipartisan support. Um, since the 40 months ago when the earthquake happened, um, do you know why the Obama administration has broken its pre-election promise to the Haitian community to expedite the reunification of these families, and what can you do to finally reunite these families now? I, I can't comment on on why President Obama does or doesn't do what he does. Um, I can tell you that, that, again, you are discussing, mentioning a very specific issue. These are not 150,000 or 100,000 widgets. These are human beings who have family members here in many cases. And it's just one more example as to why, you know, the question was asked, where would we be 10 years from now? if we don't solve the issue. I don't even want to think about that. Because unfortunately, I think, you know, not only are these situations going to continue, by the way, they'll get worse, but, you know, whatever your main emphasis is, if it's your emphasis, which is one of mine, which is dealing with the folks who need a resolution, whether it's the emphasis of border security so that we don't have folks coming in unlawfully, which is a legitimate issue, whether it's the economic issue, until we pass legislation, none of those issues can be resolved. And one last point, since I can't answer, speak for the president. I can say things for the president, but I don't think he'd like it. Uh, but seriously, it, the, the reality is that, again, we have a system that's broken. If we're going to fix it, we have to pass legislation. And as we were saying a little while ago, to pass legislation, whether one likes it or not, it has to be bipartisan, uh, which is why I am cautiously optimistic that there are, well, there are very serious efforts in the Senate and very serious efforts in the House taking place to see if we can reach a, an agreement. I will add that there are serious disagreements on policy, and if, by the way, just because you have a policy disagreement doesn't mean you're evil or you're racist or you're bad, because there are serious policy implications here. But I think there are serious people who understand the issue, who understand 
the impact on national security, on our econ economy, but also on the individuals uh, and who really want to get this done. And I'm just hopeful uh, that we can take care of, take advantage of that opportunity for all the reasons, but nothing more important for, uh, for the folks who are here working hard, um, who want the opportunity to raise their families in freedom, with prosperity, uh, in dignity. And some of them, not all of them, but some of them, I'm convinced, have the dream of one day putting their hand on their heart, pledging allegiance to the United States, to all that it stands for, to that flag. Um, we have an opportunity, I hope, this year to do it, and I just hope we're able to take advantage of it. Marlene, I, I feel like maybe you should have the, the last word on, on, this, on this question. Thank you so much. I, I believe that there are two things that President Obama can do right away. He can afford DED, Deferred Enforced Departure, to all immigrants who would qualify under a comprehensive immigration reform. The other day we had to work with uh, uh, Senator Marco Rubio's office, I'm talking about Flick Florida Immigrant Coalition, Haitian Women of Miami and Haitian American Justice Coalition, to stop the deportation of a, of a young man named Jesus who's been here for 25 years, the father of five children, four of them U.S. citizens, to stop his deportation. Now he has a stay. We don't know when the administration is going to try to deport him again. We need protection for these families who would eventually qualify under comprehensive immigration reform now. Second thing. The second thing President Obama can do right away is approve the Haitian family reunification parole, which the young lady was talking about. President Obama does not need Congress to help him do these two things, DED and approve Haitian family reunification parole. Congressman Diaz Ballard, these people, they've already been approved for residency already. They've been waiting in the pipeline. Just like the Cuban family uh, uh, reunification parole, we would like him at least to start letting the children come. Every day they die in Haiti. They die of the, of the imported cholera outbreak. They die because they can even get a, a vaccine, something that we can get here very freely. President Obama can do these two things right now and we urge him to do it. But most importantly, we hope that our leaders in Congress will understand that we in this nation, this great nation of opportunity, this great nation of immigrants will understand that the time for immigrants all immigrants, all 11 million undocumented immigrants to come out from the shadow of fear to the light of respect and dignity is now. It is now. We cannot wait any longer. They've suffered too much. Our system does not have the capacity, our foster care system does not have the capacity to take care of Jesus' children, four US-born children, if you were to be deported on, on uh, last week, uh, Tuesday he was supposed to be deported, right, uh, Kathy? If Senator Rubio and other leaders around the nation did not help us stay his deportation temporarily, where would his children be right now? This is what we're talking about. We're talking about human beings. We're talking about children's lives. We're talking about our future. The time is now, and we cannot wait any longer. Our time has come. Thank you. So thanks, thanks to all of you, really. I, I, fe I feel like it, it would have been uh, 
interesting and appropriate to have a, a one-hour-long conversation with each and every one of you, and so we compressed a lot, and apologies that we couldn't spend more time with each of you, but we really covered a lot of ground, and this is obviously an ongoing issue, and again, thanks to, uh, to everybody for coming.